Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. For those of you at home and those of you outside, we're glad you're joining with us. We are in a series here called Seeing in the Dark. We've been working on the book of Exodus and examining uh, kind of the idea of like when you're going through those dark times, like how, how do you move through them? How do we, how do we navigate? What do we see? And uh, to be honest, it's been, it's been quite an interesting journey in my family as we hit several times of pretty rough darkness, um, starting back in about eight years ago, or maybe it's five or six years ago now, actually, the, um, my daughter, for some reason, we had gotten to this place where suddenly she was talking about her stomach hurting. There had been some other signs and symptoms that we weren't quite sure what was going on. Next thing you know, she's losing weight incredibly fast. She looks really pale. In fact, we have family photos with her, and you look back at them, and you're like, you are definitely not healthy. And in an, almost like an emergency rush, my wife took her off into the hospital, started having her uh, go through some various testing and examination. In the end, what we discovered and found out was they said, your daughter has Crohn's. Now, she was only 12 at the time, and uh, that's pretty rare for a 12-year-old to wind up with Crohn's. And we're like, what in the world do you do? With Crohn's, like we'd, not, we'd heard of it a little bit, but not really understood what it was as an autoimmune disease for your, for your intestines and your whole tract. She had uh, lesions or um, actually ulcers running from the lower all the way to the upper. The whole, the whole thing was just open like a, a gaping wound. And so immediately my wife and I do what, we, what, what I think a lot of parents do. You know, we, we jumped on the internet and started researching. Like, well, how are we going to stop this thing? What are we going to do? We're going to defeat it. Let's, let's do this. Because we wanted to be certain. We knew. And I, I'm always that kind of weirdo that's like, um, you know, I've, I've watched Lorenzo's Oil before, and I'm going to be that dad who figures it out. Have you ever seen the movie, The Dad Figures Out the Solution to Heal His Kid? And I'm always like, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to figure this out and jump in, and I'm going to solve it. And so you can, you can know whenever her Crohn's flares back up, we always have a tendency to take a step back and just feel like, again, overwhelmed. Like, God, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. We thought we, we understood how to help her control it. We thought we understood what to do. Because here's the thing. When it's in the darkness, the thing you're seeking for is certainty. Isn't that true? And yet what I can tell you is this. When in the dark, we can't be certain. We, we can't, especially you cannot be certain of what God is doing. And I think this is one of the things that we all think is very obvious, but we're very, very bad at it. We cannot be certain of what God is doing in the midst of darkness, in the middle of the stuff. That's why it's darkness. We're going like, God, what are you doing? We're asking the question. And yet there will be plenty of people who are ready to tell you, I know exactly what God is doing. You know, all those vaccines, it's the mark of the beast. It's the end of the world. You know what this is? This is, this is the end of everything that, you know, they're, they're ready with it. There are pastors who are doing this. I mean, right now, if you've ever struggled with infertility, you know that there are people ready immediately with seven different ways to help you not be infertile anymore. Hey, here, get a bottle of wine, go home, relax. You know, that's what worked for us. You know, that's what the doctor did. And we've met people constantly who go through diseases and they'll come to churches and they'll go like, are you just going to tell me to have faith? Because every time I get sick, somebody tells me it's because I don't have enough faith. Or somebody tells me it's because I'm just not, you know, I'm not following God well enough. We get these certain answers even in our, in our culture. I mean, you talk to single people, they all have a story of how everybody can tell them exactly why they're single and what they need to do to get unsingle and, you know, just get married. That's usually the solution everybody offers them. We're so certain in the dark times and we understand that we can't be. Our culture likes to be certain. I mean, they tell us that we're, because of global warming, we're all going to die in nine years. That if we don't actually deal with this legislation and get it through, everybody's going to die. If you're, you know, you've got to be sure there's an economic crisis around the corner, so buy my gold. You know, there's all this kind of stuff that is out there that's so certain in the dark times because one thing comes with certainty, control. If you can be certain, then you have something you can do. When I was certain, I knew it was what I needed to do for my daughter. Man, I had control. And when I have control, for some reason, I feel better. Is this not us? Is this not the human predicament? And yet we cannot be sure what God is doing in the dark times. It's the point. And so we end up in this situation in history where we think we are certain, and yet we are walking in the dark. And I want to just challenge us for a minute with a man who is absolutely sure he was certain. He was, he was absolutely going to be in control. And his name is Moses. You can find him here in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to finally get to meet Moses for the first time. And I don't think we're going to like what we see, but we're going to give it a shot. And so Moses chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, 
open it up, grab it. You can start joining us. And we're going to start in verse 11 and finish off the chapter. I said we were going to finish off the book last service, and they all freaked out because of how long the sermons have been going. But um, actually, I want to just thank Nick. Nick, uh, Nick got us done early and, and did a great job. Didn't he do a great job? Can you just thank him? He'll see this later. And I was excited. In fact, encourage him to have kids because his dad jokes rock. So uh, he, need, he needs some kids to practice those suckers on. So uh, Exodus 2, we are here. Moses has just been plucked from the water. He's just been named. He's being raised by Pharaoh's daughter and his mother is his wet nurse. So he's getting both the Egyptian world and the Hebrew world filtering into his life. And so here is Moses growing up in view of everyone. I mean, can you imagine the conundrum, the puzzle that Moses is? I mean, you're an Egyptian slave, or, which means you're a Hebrew. You are a, you're, you are a Hebrew working your tail off under the heat of the sun, building bricks, doing everything you can to keep your life alive. And there's this little Hebrew boy playing around in the palace. Well, who's that kid? Oh, that's Moses. Who's Moses? Oh, you know, like, yeah, he got pulled out of the, out of the water. He's like, he gets everything. Man, Moses got the best toys. Moses has, Moses has his own chariot. It's ridiculous. Like, did Moses like ride around as fast as he could in his chariot as a teenager and just tick off every other teenager who's out there building bricks? Was, was he like the talk of the town? Oh, you know that Moses. Yeah, that guy's a traitor. I mean, who, who gets raised in Pharaoh's home? He's not come out here to help us. He's not trying to stop our grief. He's probably complicit. He's probably part of the program, part of the issue. You know, oh, that, that kid's a tool. He's going to be used on us one day. You watch it. Some people probably thought, no, he's a gift. Look, he's been raised by, by Pharaoh. He's got power. He's been there for 40 years. And man, this guy's got something. We need, we need to hope he does something for us. Let's, 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 let's put our trust in Moses. I mean, Moses is a confusing character to people, especially if you're a Hebrew and especially if you're in slavery. And yet Moses is the furthest from being uncertain about himself. In fact, let's pick it up and let's look at it. Moses is actually writing this, and he's talking about this time. And he says, one day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing has been known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Now, what I find interesting here is that Moses is the only one, uncertain, is the only one certain about himself. And I get this from the beginning here. When you look back at the verse, you see up here, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, and, and this word grown up can actually be translated, not just grown up. He's already grown up once earlier. This can mean he became great. Now he's 40. Obviously he's grown up, but there's a sense that he didn't just grow up. He has now become great. When who's mine? Probably Moses's. I mean, Moses is sitting there going, I've got 40 years in Pharaoh's palace. I'm, I'm the guy. I know what's going on. In fact, he looks down at the Hebrews. He sees what's going on. He calls them his people. Well, that's an interesting statement. He's either identifying with them or he thinks they're his. And so there's some kind of connection for Moses as he's looking at the people. He's certain that he is the guy who's going to do this. And like all of us, when we gain control, it's because we often don't trust God's timing. We often don't wind up taking God's timing and we want to use our timing. And so suddenly we dive in with this timing conversation as Moses tries to jump on top of the deliverance. Yes, God wants to deliver. Yes, God gave the promises. But you know what? Moses is ready to do it his way at his time. He sees the Egyptian beating up this, this Hebrew slave and he's like, no way, boom, I strike him down. When nobody's looking, I bury him in the sand, hide him away. Next thing you know, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm the guy. Come follow me. Let's do this thing. I really believe that Moses thought if he would strike down the Egyptian, he would show up and tell everybody, hey, I'm going to help you out, make good decisions. They would rise up and follow him. You want to know why? Because he walked around in Pharaoh's house. Now, who was Pharaoh afraid of? But all the Hebrews. All they probably ever heard was, oh, man, we better keep those Hebrews in line because they're going to rise up against us. They're going to find And Moses is going, yeah, man. Yeah, they're going to rise up. I'm going to be their leader. They're going to be against you. We're going to take them over militarily. We're going to win. This is going to be awesome in my timing. Here we go. Starting it today. That's not what we find. 
In fact, we mess up constantly when we try to take things into our own timing. Isn't that true? Like when I don't trust God, I want it my own timing and I'm hitting a financial skid. I'm real fast. I don't go run to God in prayer. I whip out the old good credit card. Boom, you know, I've got control of this. Just take a line of credit. I'll just do a little bit more here. And we as Americans have been taught, you can take care of your own problems if you got enough money. There are people, some of you who have run into really bad difficulty with your spouse. And you're not going to wait on God's timing for somebody else to change. You're ready to get out now. We're going to be done with this. I'm leaving. We're, we're finished. And you know, some of, you've known people in the church, young girls, and there will be girls in our church who will be facing an unplanned pregnancy, raised in the church. They've had sex. Now they're pregnant, and they're going to be freaking out, going like, what do I do? What do I do? My parents are, my parents are going to be angry. My church is, my youth group's going to shun me. Everything's bad, and pressure from the boyfriend. Everything's going to build, and the whole thing's about, this isn't God's timing. This isn't God's timing for you. God's timing for you is to go to college, and God's timing for you is to get this degree, and God's timing for you is to get married and have your kids, but oh no, that's not God's timing, and, and now the pressure becomes to abort the child. We're all about timing. We have all our time set. You should have been married back when, and you should have done, had your career going with this time. And so we jump God's timing all the time because we don't always trust God in the dark for his timing. And Moses clearly jumps all over God's timing. And he also doesn't seem to trust God's means. We get into this situation. I mean, Moses thought he knew what to do. He was going to fight injustice with power, baby. He was going to take down the Egyptian government from the inside, the fifth column. He's there. He's the dark state. He's ready to take over. He jumps out there. He kills the Egyptian. Nobody even sees him, buries him in the sand. He's standing there. He goes, hey, guys, come follow me. And they go, who made you judge? This is interesting. Let me stop and look at the text one more time because what Moses does when he jumps into his own desires, his own means, his own efforts, his own way, is he creates a situation of vengeance. He creates a problem where other people begin to suffer. And it starts with this way. First, Moses is rejected by his own people. We, we notice that he goes up and he goes out, he kills the Egyptian, he buries him in the sand. When he had went out, verse 13 says, next, the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong. Did you read that? He knows who's in the wrong. He's got it all figured out already. He, he's got it. He knows exactly what's wrong with these guys. And so he's like, listen, dude, you're wrong. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? I'm wrong. Who died made you judge? Who died made you king? Who died made you God over me? What's going on here? Did Pharaoh put you up to this? Is he like sending you down here to start telling us how to live and what to do? You hear all those echoes of the confusion? And so suddenly, out of nowhere, Pharaoh hears that he's killed an Egyptian. Well, who knew the Egyptian was dead but the Hebrews? They turn in their own person. They're like, we'll get you. You want to judge me? Oh, I'll show you who you're going to judge. I'm going to have Pharaoh judge you. And this is so true. When we take, me, take the means into our own hands because we don't trust God, you will wind up being the judge of someone. You ever notice this? Somebody knows exactly what you should do, and then they get judgy on you. They're like, oh, no, you need to do this. And it's like, it's dark. You're confused. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know how to. And yet they're so certain. So certainty gives control when it's your means because you're not going to trust God's means. Man, we're going to be all over each other in judgment. And this is the worst case that we run into. Therefore, we run around claiming we know and I've got this and it's in the dark. We don't know what's going on. You don't know why you're walking through that infertility. You don't know why you're dealing with that long disease. But man, <coughs> we are ready Infertility, we, we jump. We don't like God's means that I may not have a baby. And so I'm going to jump on top of in vitro. And, and, and I'm not knocking people who have t done in vitro fertilization. So if that's been you, don't, don't hear me that I'm judging you. That's not my point. Uh, my request is that you talk to your pastor before you talk to the fertility clinic. Because this is a very moral issue. And many people today buy the sales point because they're selling you from your pain to tell you what you need to do and the means to do it. And we run off. And to be quite honest, more people produce more babies than they need in in vitro. And we have entire catalogs of children frozen in embryonic states across the United States and the world, destined either to be thrown away 
Little images of God. Because we want to stop and say, God, what is it you've called me for? Now, another insidious danger in this is that I want you to hear me that the reason you stop and you talk to a pastor quickly is because our job is to help kind of guide and lead you through the ethical dilemmas and to also help shoo away the lies. And I'll give you the biggest lie that exists out there right now. You have a right to a child. Excuse me? Yeah, we have a right to have children. No, children are a blessing. But the second you turn a child into a right, they turn into a commodity. That you buy or you sell, that you get to determine whether or not you should have. And when we turn humans into commodities, we end up in a dangerous, dangerous place. And so there's lots of statistics that are coming out as we've begun this journey that we are beginning to view children more about us than about them. More about what I get as the adult than what a child is going to suffer through because I want my wants. And there's plenty of this stuff, but this is just the means. What happened when Moses stands up and starts arguing is the Egyptian Pharaoh hears about it. And what happens to the people? They suffer because he thought he could do it in his means, in his timing, and that causes suffering. Now the switch also happens when suddenly he starts a vengeance cycle. You see, when he takes in the means of justice into his hands, Moses suddenly causes himself a problem. Notice he steps out, and this is very clear in the Hebrew text, but I'll I'll try to paint it for you. Go back to verse 11 with me. It says, On the day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And this word means to beat down, where he's literally beating him into the sand. So he's beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way, and then he looked that, making sure the coast is clear. And seeing no one, he beat down. Same word. He beat down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. This is called vengeance. This was injustice. This is vengeance. So he takes justice into his own hands, creates it into vengeance, beats down the Egyptian as the Egyptian was beating down the Hebrew. Now what happens? Well, Pharaoh hears you killed an Egyptian. I'm going to kill you. We've escalated the violence. And this is what happens. We grab hold and we escalate violence. So violence occurs on other people. Violence begins to spread out to others that we don't want it to. And in a case of diseases, we have people who are being told, and and I'm just being honest, you are the generation that's going to deal with this. You are going to grow up, you are going to get a cancer or some kind of disease, an autoimmune or something, and you're going to be old and you're going to be requested to kill yourself. Why would you want to suffer anyway? Why keep going through that cancer? You're going to die. You are the generation that is going to be the offer to you every single time you go through something horrific. And you have to be ready. Because right now it seems so silly until you're in the pain. And you think you're worthless. Because nobody calls. You're sitting in a home somewhere. Because you were dropped off. And you're wondering, God, what in the world am I here for? You're in the dark. And those who are certain are going to show up to tell you exactly what you should do with yourself. But that's not God's means. That's not his timing. And it's extremely hard to wait for God's means and God's timing, especially in the midst of pain, especially in the scenarios of injustice, especially when there's wrong being done. Man, we want to rise up and stop it. We want to rise up and end it. And so we saw over the summer of 2020 that there were entire groups that rose up to try to stop injustice. The BLM riots, the Antifa stuff, literally end up not harming the people they're mad at, but harming the very people they say they're supporting. So the very areas they're destroying and and burning down are the very... um, African-American communities that are trying to support themselves or the inner city communities are trying to, to live. And suddenly you've got all this carnage happening and they're the ones suffering. And today in Chicago, you have higher murder rates because they argued against the wrong group of people. Now you flip it and you go to January 6th and a whole group of people under the auspices that they are going to be the ones who, who make sure that the right election occurs, march upon the Capitol and who gets the fallout but anybody who would claim they're a conservative even politically. Now you're all to blame or you're not to blame if you, wherever you stand, but they're not the ones necessarily getting all the punishment. You see, when we take justice in our own hands, it creates a vengeance cycle. And what occurs is the fallout is harmful to the mass majority of people, not even really to the ones who did the, who did the vengeance. And so in gangs, when they shoot each other and they go back for vengeance, it's, it's not just the gang members who are suffering, it's the families and the communities 
that the vengeance cycle creates. This is what happens when we take justice in our own hands, when our own timing, at our own means. And Moses is an image of this in the midst of the dark. And so what's even worse is that when we do these kinds of things, it locks us into a position. And the worst position that I can think of is realizing that I'm a failure, a reject, and a sinner. That's, who, that's really who Moses is. So Moses finds himself out in the middle of nowhere as this murderer. He finds himself now stuck in a situation where he is the sinner. God totally must have rejected him. He's failed at liberating the people. The people don't want him. His own Egyptian family doesn't want him. He is doomed. What does he do? He's lost all his identity. He's lost all his stuff. And I'm going to tell you, some of you here feel much like Moses. Your sin, your, your failures are creeping into your mind all the time, and you just feel like, man, God's got nothing for me. You may just be watching at home going like, God's done with me. I don't even know I'm watching this. Mom's making me sit on the couch. You know, I get it. And you feel like, man, I, I just got to get out of here. God is done with me. If that's you, I want you to keep listening because I want you to see that God is not finished. In fact, he goes on as we continue in verse 16. He says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, or actually we'll back it up just a little bit, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, right there, like, cue the romance music. Whatever, you should pick out, pick out the music you want for your romance scene, because this is the well. I mean, wells are the romantic locations. All the best hookups happen at the wells, and that's what's going on here. You go back to Rebecca and Isaac, that situation, Wells are constantly the location you find your wife. And so it's no wonder that it's awkward when Jesus is sitting by a well with all, all alone with a woman and everybody reads it like, oh, what's going on? That's what's going on. That's the feeling. And we all know that turns out fine. Well, joke, bad joke. Anyway, so, and you wind up with this case. Again, Moses is going to show up and this is going to be good. There's some damsels in distress. He's going to help them out. So he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs of water and to water their father's flock. Now, the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them, and he watered their flock. And you're like, oh, awesome. He just can't get rid of the delivery thing, can he? He just has to do it. He's got to let people free. He's got to help people out because it's in his blood. And here's the thing. I don't think Moses liked it that he was able to help because the women jumped up and left. They just left him. They're like, he waters them. They're like, thank you, bye-bye. And he's like, I reject it again. Save people, they hate you. That's how this works. And yet that's exactly what we're seeing in this sudden case for, for Moses is that he's, he's been rejected. And, and this actually leads to the hardest part when you're in the dark is when God actually does use you. But he doesn't use you in the setting you want. And so in the dark, we grab control because we don't always trust God's setting that he wants to do things. He don't always trust when God says, hey, we're going to do this. Look, you may have had the perfect job in mind. You may have set yourself up to have this awesome sales career and all these things only to have it taken away from you by some upstart. And now what are you doing? You're, you're just hunting for work. God, I thought you wanted me to do something over here. I thought you wanted me to take, take this somewhere. Some of you actually dreamed as young people that you were going to be ministers and some of you stepped into it and you got destroyed and burned out and now you're selling cars, you're doing something else. And you're going, God, I, this isn't where I wanted to lead. I wanted to teach and train people. I, this is not what I wanted to do. And yet you're, you're bringing people to Jesus and every time you're kind of like, oh, that's great, but this is where I wanted to do it. Setting's so hard. It is, some, it is so hard. Some of you have longed for children only to raise other people's kids. And you look at it like, I hate this, but God has given you this blessing and this opportunity to care and to love. It's the hardest part to swallow oftentimes is that God can use you. It's just not the setting you want. And that's the dark times. And you want to take control of it. You'll grab it. You'll make it. You'll try to make things happen. But again, Moses just kind of flops into it. He's like, I'm done. They're going to reject me. They're going to leave. Obviously, God's done with me, but he's not. We continue. When they came home to their father, Reuel, so the women leave him at the well, rejected. So how, how and he goes, well, how is it that you've come home so soon today? 
They said, well, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. Notice who he's identified as. He's not even identified as a Hebrew. Now he's an Egyptian. Oh, this is just a mess for, for poor old Moses. And he's just like, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why you left the man? Why'd you leave him? Call him that he may eat bread. Moses, and Moses was content to dwell with the man. And the man gave, and the man gave, his, uh, gave Moses his daughter Zipporah and she gave birth to a son. And he named him Gershom, and he said, I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. That's why I named him Gershom. The word Gershom, the word sojourner is Ger. Wouldn't that be nice? Hey, hi, Ger. How are you? He's like, this is my son, Gershom. I'm so miserable. I don't live with my own family. I named my son after my misery. I mean, Moses is just stuck in his misery. But let me take you, maybe you're stuck in some sin. Maybe you're stuck in some misery. Maybe you think God's not going to help you. And like I said, you're watching this because mom's making you, you, you were brought to church today. Can I talk to you for a minute? Can I shift gears and make this, maybe I make this a little bit of allegory for you. You see, what's interesting about the name Reuel is that the word literally means the friend of God. So here's Moses who's lost his identity, he's lost his calling, he's lost his career, he's lost his home, he's lost everything that he's wanted, he's a sinner and a broken person, and now he meets a friend of God. Maybe that's why you're here. You walked in here broken, you walked in here, you've tried all the identities out you could possibly think of, nothing's given you any help, it feels miserable, you don't know if God even wants to use you anymore, you don't even know if there is a God, but you showed up at church. That's a place to be honest. You can't be honest at church. You, sh- you really can't be honest anywhere. Let's be honest, right? And what you're sitting amongst is a people called the friends of God. Do you know that's what Jesus said? He says, when you love me, I call you my friends. And maybe you're here today with a friend of God. You're here today meeting friends of God. And sometimes we're not the nicest people. I get that, but friends aren't always nice. But we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're, you're even looking because we want to introduce you. We would love for you to be part of the family. Just as Reuel brings them in, Jesus has given us his kingdom. He's given us his family and said, go out there, bring everybody into the family that you can. And God's not done with you. God just wants to bring you into the family. God's not finished with you. He wants to introduce you to Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? He's the one who on the cross not only bore our sin, he bore our rebellion, our rejection, all of our mess and shame so that we might have an access to God. He rises from the dead to become the ruler and reigner over all evil and sin. And he's conquered it now completely. And he says, now that I'm ruling and I'm reigning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to send people out. Come send out the friends of God. Now come on in. You're not here to be punished today. You're here to be enveloped and I want to receive you in my kingdom. Will you pledge allegiance and follow me? Will you line up with me because I'm here to lead you I'm here to care for you. I'm here to make you part of my family. Do you hear this? An old identity is gone. A new one has come. It's called Christian. It's one in which you're able to follow Jesus in allegiance to his way and his actions and his love. And yeah, maybe you think Christians don't do a good job. You could be the better Christian. Follow Jesus because he's offering you the chance. And that's exactly what happens. Moses crawls out of this misery in this place and he meets a friend of God and gets a new identity and a new home and a new calling. And that's exactly what God wants to give to you through Jesus Christ. And I invite you to have and to receive that, to come into the kingdom today, to be a part, pledge allegiance to Jesus the King and be a part of what he's doing on this earth for the transformation of lives and others. Be a part of that, come on. Because the rest of it won't work. The rest of the sermon is really not gonna help. Because otherwise, I'll let you just stay. You can remain right where you're at and you can struggle in your sin and, and in the sense of feeling miserable and useless. But hey, when you finally come to Christ, we become like the Israelites. Now Moses is writing this and so he's gonna say, look, don't look at me. I want you to look at the next group of people that's found in verse 23. Moses is there miserable and whining that he's a sojourner in a foreign land. But now we end up with another group. It's the Israelites that he talks about in verse 23. Take a look there with me. And what we see in verse 23 is these people are ready to trust God in a different way. See, when in the dark, they trust God through surrender. They don't take control. And so we read right here, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel 
groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came up. A rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. This is an incredible ending. In a contrast to a man who's doing it in his own way to a people who know they can't. And so what do they do? They have a God that they know will hear them. They have a God that they know will remember them. They have a God who they know will see them. They have a God who they know knows. And so when we are in this scenario, I want to call us to be a people who surrender, not take control. If you're in the dark, the way of trust is to surrender. And that starts with realizing God hears to pray. We trust God hears, so we pray. You realize God hears you? And it doesn't feel like it all the time. Maybe you're praying, you feel like it's bouncing off the ceiling or off the walls. You're like, God, are you even listening to me? And that's because we don't want to pray for the, ulti- the, uh, the immediate answers. We want to pray for the ultimate answers. And then sometimes the ultimate shows up in the immediate. Let me, let me give you a couple examples of what's happened in my life when it comes to the cry. See, these guys are shouting out, God, help! When you're in the dark, you know that cry. When you have a loved one who's dying, when you're infertile, when you want to get married and it's not happening, and when you're going through the wrestling match in the dark, all your heart does is groan, help! Amen? And so you pray. So a couple years after my daughter is going through her second round of horrific, horrible situations that Crohn's brings upon her, I'm out prayer walking, just going, God, help! I don't know what to do. I surrender, I quit, I've tried everything I've learned. And, and for some weird reason, he says, we'll go look one more time. Get on the internet, I pull up a, a, like a, a PubMed kind of study, and it's this weird thing, just been posted two weeks earlier. Never seen it before, it looked all, all kinds of stuff, and it was on a diet. And it was just a simple, this strange diet that had shown that when done over a certain series of, of days, actually starts to connect the pluripotent stem cells in the, uh, in the gut lining and basically regenerate the gut lining. And it's shown to be helpful for Crohn's. And we're like, what in the world? Never seen this before. Send it away to a couple of people who know medical stuff a little better than me. And they're like, yeah, this is legit. This is a legit study. And we're like, sweet. So put my daughter on him and we all kind of go through it together. And the last time she had a check, there are no ulcers but one sitting in there. Without the medication, this was, this was dealt with. In fact, the medication seems to do worse for her than this diet. And we're just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Now, that doesn't mean it's not over. But it has radically transformed how my daughter feels and what she's been able to do. And it, it was an answer to prayer. I'm not here to tell you God's always going to answer your prayers like that. Because I can still remember sitting in this building begging God that he would heal my mom of a cancer that was healable while she's sitting in the, uh, in the city of hope, and that week she died. See, what I was praying for were ultimate things that God can sometimes bring into the immediate. I knew God could say no, but I wasn't going to stop following him. I knew he still heard me. I may not understand why I'm going through the dark. I may not understand why I'm going through these things, but I know he hears. And so I ask for the ultimate things and not necessarily the immediate. And when he answers, I praise him for answering the immediate things. Amen? But at least keep praying. There were people who lived in slavery for 100 plus years and they kept praying. They kept asking. They kept begging God because they knew that he heard, even though he may not have answered. Don't Quit asking. Don't quit seeking your Lord. Even though you may feel like, it is not answering me. His timing is not always our timing. We don't always understand these things, but we stay faithful. We stay in allegiance to him and we pray because we know he hears. Second, I want to tell you, we trust God remembers and so we wait with hope. It says he remembers. That's a weird statement. Doesn't God know everything? Why does he need to remember something? Like, And yet, if you'll do a little quick study of the word remember, you're going to find that often remember means that God brings it to his forefront of his mind, in a sense, because he's ready to act. So what God remembers here, he says, I remember the covenant with 
Isaac and Jacob, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I've got this covenant. I'm ready to act. I'm going to give you that kingdom. I'm going to give you the, that, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm ready to act. I remember. Do you know God gave you a covenant? He gave you a sacred promise in Jesus Christ. He remembers that he is going to restore you. He's going to transform you. He's going to give you. He knows this, and it's ours, and so we wait with hope. His promise is still good. We wait with hope. And the hope is hard, but notice how Paul puts it. He says, not only, whoo, Paul didn't put it anywhere. That's all gone. So I'll read it from my notes. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons. So he says, first of all, we're groaning. It's not easy. It hurts. And in that groaning, as we wait patiently, we end up with this waiting attitude. For in, and he says this, for in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? You can't see this, but you can hope for it. Once we see it, we don't hope for it anymore, right? That's my hope. Hi, mouse. And the, uh, what I want you guys to do is realize that you don't, you don't hope for your Christmas presents after you've opened them. You hope before they come. Guys, we've all ordered a whole bunch of stuff that's sitting out in the Pacific Ocean right now on, on ocean liners, right? Okay? That doesn't mean I lose hope. It's coming. Just not in the timing I want. And our hope does not reside on an ocean liner out in the middle of the Pacific. Our hope resides in the lap of the God who conquered all of death, all of disease, and all of pain, and he still stands there victorious. He is the one that we hope in and we wait with patience. Because this is the promise Peter says, according to his promise, we're waiting a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's why when I say pray, here's one of the prayers all of us need to memorize. It's a simple Aramaic word. It said Maranatha. Anybody know that word? Everybody know Maranatha? Say it with me. Maranatha. At home, say it with me. Maranatha. Outside. Maranatha. Now, listen. It means, Lord, come quickly. Come soon. Come now. Maranatha. I want you to think about that for a minute. Is there a sin you're sick and tired of sinning? Is there something you're so sick and tired of showing up in your life and you keep failing in it and it keeps showing up again and again? You're like, God, would this not stop? Pray, Lord, come soon. I'm tired of the sin in this world. Is there an injustice you keep seeing? Is there some kind of people that are oppressed that are broken and you're tired of serving and working and working and yet the only answer is that Jesus comes, so pray, Lord, come soon. Is your back hurting? Has OLD taken you down? Are you sitting there in a situation where you've got cancer riddling through your body, where you are literally losing your mind because of what's going on in your brain, then the prayer is, Lord, come soon. Because he's coming. And he's given us the promise of his soon return. He said, if you will ask, I'm on the way. If you're in that dry time, sick and tired of where is God's presence, the Bible is just paper and ink. He's coming. Pray, Maranatha, Lord, come soon. He has remembered, and we wait and hope. And when we pray that, it's because we know he's coming. It's a declaration of our hope, of what he's promised. See, when we trust God, we trust he sees. We trust he sees our difficulty. He sees what you're going through. He is not ignorant of your sufferings and your struggles. He is not ignorant of the difficulty in your parenting. He is not ignorant of the struggle in your marriage. He is not ignorant of your singleness. He is not ignorant of your same-sex attraction. He is not ignorant of your sexual proclivities. He is not ignorant of any of the struggles that you have at work with that guy or the desires to simply slip away and go purchase something in the middle of the night because it'll make you feel better. He's not ignorant of your eating problems. He's not ignorant of any of it. He is very much aware. He sees it better than you do. And so when we see that, we trust that he sees because he also sees all those people who are picking on you and all the junk that's going on, all the other garbage, all of our suffering, all those. Look, he sees. Now that should correct us in two ways. One, it makes us realize, oh, he sees because he's coming with judgment. That's a good and a bad. On the bad, that makes me always go like, oh, I'm going to have to stand before God for this. Like, I don't like confrontation with people in general. I don't know about you. If you're one of those like, I love confrontation. We're just wired differently, and that's okay. But I don't personally enjoy confrontation. And when I've got a confrontation with the Lord I have to go through one day. You ever wonder what the fear of the Lord is about? Well, it kind of fits in that category. 
I want to stay faithful to you, Lord. I don't have to explain myself on this one. Because one day there's coming a judgment. But there's also a sense that, guys, we can look forward to that day of judgment because all the junk that's been done against us, just like was done against the Hebrews, is going to be dealt with. Notice how Zephaniah puts it. Therefore, wait for me, God says, declares Yahweh. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey. That's like serious right there. I mean, do you see what God just says? He's like, I'm going to act like a hunting animal. I'm going to just take it down. For my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. And what he's basically saying there is for all the injustice and all the problems and all the wickedness that the spiritual powers put upon people and their complicity, I'm going to deal with this place. Judgment's coming. You know what that means for you? In all the punishment, all the stuff that you want to dole out and all your anger and the means, you can surrender the means. You can surrender the timing because God's got it. He will judge. So who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to be a bit more patient with today? I'm already thinking of the guy who's cutting me off when I'm on my way home. You know, I got to be more patient. I'm already thinking about the anger I feel towards Certain situations that are stirred up in our country and stirred up in other countries right now. And I gotta, I gotta be patient. You see, Christianity is about one thing, guys. We can be patient because we got the long game. Nothing's immediate for us. Jesus is one. Can you play the long game? Can you play it with confidence, knowing that no matter what the enemy throws at us, if we stay on our game, God wins. And even when we don't, God wins. We play the long game, trusting in the Lord God is going to bring the justice, bring the, bring the peace, bring everything into order. I don't need to judge and I don't need to control. But sure, I want to, but oh man, I got I to gotta set it over. I got to surrender. When I trust God, I surrender these things. And so when I trust God, I trust that he knows. And so I got to surrender to obeying his direction. When I do that, I'm letting go of every other means, Right? When I trust that Jesus is God, that he knows what he's talking about, and he says, go love your neighbor, guess what I got to go do? I got to go love my neighbor. When he says, love one another, and I'm like, I don't really want to love you guys today. I want to go home and take a nap. I don't want to spend time digging into the ancient Hebrew text to explain it to a bunch of... No, we got to love each other. God's not done with you. God's not finished even with, because you sinned or somebody asked you to shift over to a different ministry because that one wasn't working. No, 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 God wants to still use you. No, just step in and see that God has called us to these things. Will we do this as we wait? Will we love him? Will we walk with him? Check this out. I love how Peter put it all together. Talking about all this, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, meaning all the heavens and the earth, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? This is the weird part. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away and they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So one, we obey. We want to walk in holiness. We want to walk in fidelity to Jesus. We want to, we've, called, we've all said, you're our Lord. We're after you, God. We're following you. You got the words of life. Yeah, so we follow in obedience. That We're going to love each other. We're going to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to love the church as Christ loved the church. Amen. We're going to have this inside of us. And then, yet then we're going to hasten the day of his return. Uh, how do you do that? Anybody ever wondered that from this text? Like, how in the world do you hasten the day of his return? That's a weird thought. You can make Jesus come back sooner? Yeah, just become the Antichrist. That's how it works out. I'm just kidding. That's not how it works. Jesus told us how. Jesus said, when all the nations hear the gospel, then the end will come. You want to hasten the day? Share the faith. You want to hasten the day? Love Christ, live for Christ, share Christ, get out there and bring the gospel of Jesus. Invite everybody in to his kingdom, everybody into his family. Invite them all. And as we do that in every nation, we bring everybody in. Yeah, that hastens the day. It gets it, one, it gets it closer and closer because when that gospel hits every nation, boom, then the end comes. That's our process. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. They don't want you to hasten the day at all. They want to keep going as long as they can. 
But guys, we get to do this while we wait. We wait with hope and we obey his direction. Go into all the nations. Baptize. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. I'm with you. I'm with you. The biggest thing that I'm just really winding all this up to is this idea that there is something in all of our lives as we're going through this dark. And your dark is a various darkness. Some of you guys are have an immediate situation. Others of you, it's kind of more of a general situation. But the bottom line is all of us are trying in some ways where we're confident, we're sure, we're trying to control. And I can't tell you what that is, but I'm going to invite you to do something with me. And here as we close out, I'm just going to ask you to surrender. I don't know why you need to surrender, but God does. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you bow your head and shut your eyes and just put your hands out. I do believe God speaks to us. What I want you to do is just say, God, is there something that you need me to surrender? Is there something in the timing I need to surrender? Is there some some means that I've taken control of that you're asking me to surrender? Is there a setting that I don't like that you're asking me to surrender? And when you do that, remember he hears, remember he remembers. He sees, he knows, and just whatever he prompts you on, give it back to him. Just spend this next couple minutes doing that. Brad's going to sing, and you don't need to sing with him, but just listen, listen for the Lord.
just let this happen for a little longer, right? Was that amazing? Thanks, Brad. You know, sometimes it's important to end a service in a, in a down note, in a note of surrender, in a note of forgiveness, in a note of honoring our Lord. And I just want to thank you guys today for hanging around and maybe tasting a little bit of what it's like what it's going to be like in heaven when we surrender everything to Christ. He's just going to come to us. He's going to say, well done. I do have a couple of quick things for you, and I'd really love to pray over you. Just quickly, we have an outreach coming up at the end of the month. It's called the Fall Festival. We usually have around 2,000 people here, and we're looking for people to hang out with a car, to say hi and pass out some candy. So if you haven't signed up, there's a car out there. You can see it out there in, in the front there. You can sign up. We'd really appreciate you to do that. And secondly is, you notice it says love, live, and share. Isn't that what we're all about as Christians, to love Christ, to live for Christ, and to share Christ? Well, one of our Keystone classes is coming up. It's, it's the Live class. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. So if you want to sign up for that, I just... Just experience some of that, uh, how we should be living for Christ. So we just want you to do that. Look on the app. You can look uh, online and do that. Other than that, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And we do want to surrender our hearts and our lives to you, Lord, because you already won it on the cross. You already took care of our shame, of our sin, of everything that could ever happen to us. And I love how it's past present, and future. You've forgiven us for everything, no matter what we do. So we want to surrender our hearts to you. We want to surrender our lives to you because you've done it for us. You've won it all. And we're so thankful for that. So we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to be together, to worship you, to hear your word, and to just surrender to you this, this afternoon. May you bless us. May you protect us. May you watch over us. And may you deserve all of it, and we give you back all the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all, and see you next week. Bye, everyone. Take care.